0: Hello and welcome to the AWS Podcast. Simon Alicia here with a special episode in a special series for you. This series is called Startup Stories and is a weekly series of podcasts related to the startup world hosted by Darren Morey. In your AWS Podcast feed, you'll still get the regular AWS Podcast, but now also sometimes special series during the week that will be indicated as such with a tag in the title. That way you can choose which ones to listen to and which ones may not be in your area of interest. Anyway, I hope you enjoy this special series and keep on building. Welcome to the AWS Startup Stories, a weekly podcast about getting a business off the ground, keeping it there and growing it further. In each episode, we'll be talking to one or several rising stars of the startup world and hear about their stories and ideas, the obstacles they've had to overcome, and the things they wish they'd known before they got started on building their digital businesses. My name is Darren Mori, and I'm the Director of Startup Business Development at Amazon Web Services, and today I'm very happy to welcome Darren Westlake of Crowdcube and Tom Blomfield from Monzo. Hi Darren and Tom, thanks for joining me today. Now obviously funding is vital for growing a business, but getting investor buy-in isn't always an easy task, and that's why crowdfunding is such a great resource for startups. I'm looking forward to our discussion today, in fact Tom's company Monzo found great success using Crowdcube as a resource for quick growth, and Darren, who's also with us, is the driving force behind Crowdcube, so I think we'll get quite an interesting discussion going today. Before we dig in too deeply, though, I'd like to get to know you two gentlemen a little bit more deeply. So, Tom, let's start with you. Can you give us an idea of your background and experience and what brought you to where you are today?
1: Sure. I started building websites when I was about 15 or 16 back in 98, and 99. I built these websites for estate agents, um, this, the, the bad old days of the Internet, and really it grew from there. I ran a, a startup at university. It was a, an online student marketplace. We, we tried unsuccessfully to get funding in London back in um, 2005 or six, I think, before going out to the West Coast. And then I started a company called GoCardless, which is a, an online payment processor for direct debit, which went onto Y Combinator and, and raised several rounds of VC funding. Monzo is the latest and, and by far the most ambitious venture I've been involved with. It's a new bank for the UK, uh, founded in 2015. We've just got our banking license and we've raised £35 million, I think, over four rounds in the last yeah. couple of
0: years. Congratulations. That's Thank great you. success. And I know we'll dive into some of that fundraising experience a little bit more today. And Darren, can we get the same uh, background from you? What have you done to to brought you here to, that, that has brought you here to CrowdCube?
2: Yeah, sure. Um, so I graduated uh, in computer studies. I'm a techie guy by background. Uh, I got a job as a, a programmer, but always was looking for a, a reason to start a company. Um, and that reason for me was when I discovered the Internet in the early 90s, uh, in the early days. Uh, started to do web design and get into JavaScript and all those kind of early technologies. Um, and then discovered uh, internet telephony, the ability to be able to make calls across the internet, which I thought is going to be the next big thing. Um, and today, obviously, we all use it on a daily basis. And I started a company doing voice over IP uh, in the early 90s when I was 26. And that's kind of started my entrepreneurial career. And I've um, started and exited two companies since then. And Crowdcube is my, my third company.
0: In fact, from what I understand in your background, it's the very fact that you struggled to get funding was a lot of the impetus behind creating Crowdcube. And yeah. So I'm curious, can mm-hmm. you give us some perspective there of what did you face and how did that then lead you to create uh, Crowdcube?
2: Sure, yeah. And I think often you know, businesses are born out of people's own frustrations and own problems and trying to find the solutions for them. And that was definitely the case with Crowdcube. Um, so my first company I started, uh, I had the same challenges as Tom did, um, which was, you know, how the hell do I find some money for this company? How had to get it off the ground. And uh, it, was, it was super tough as well. And we managed to get a bank loan, which these days is even harder to get. Um, and we got some money from the Prince's Youth Trust, uh, which was you know, a very small amount, but like 20K just to get the business off the ground. Um, we went on to make a relative success of that business. And then the second company we started uh, after the success of the first one, we hit that same problem again. How do we get, so how do we raise some money to get this company off the ground? This time we needed a few hundred thousand pounds. so It was a, a slightly different scale. And we went down the angel network and tried to find angels to invest in our business. And we literally went on a road show up and down the country, pitching to rooms full of middle aged men in suits, trying to persuade them to put money into our into our company. And it was very time consuming, very uncertain, very, um, very scary. And um, eventually we managed to raise three hundred thousand pounds. But what what occurred to me was that these there were these rooms full of the the same kind of looking people. You know, it was always middle aged white men who are who who are these investors, and I always thought, you know, how can we democratize this? How can we enable ordinary people to be able to be these angel type investors? And that kind of stuck with me in my head as a as a problem that we should try and solve at some point. And then when we sold our second company, um, I was trying to think, you know, what's the next business I should start up? And it came back to that problem that I'd had in the past. Um, and I started to think about how we could use the internet and how I came across this concept of crowdfunding. I thought, how do we apply that to equity investing, and how do we allow ordinary people to, to make those investments? And that was really where Crowdcube got started.
0: I think that's fascinating. And In fact, maybe you can take a moment to help the listeners understand... The term crowdfunding, yeah. as we said, can mean many different things to many different people. There's yeah. equity-based crowdfunding, there's product-based crowdfunding. So yeah. can you give your perspective on crowdfunding as an industry and help us understand the
2: intricacies or the different types of crowdfunding available? Sure. So generically, crowdfunding is a way to fund a project of some description by pulling together lots of different people, putting in lots of different um, relatively small amounts of money. Um And historically that's been done by you know some big kind of gigantic crowdfunding platforms like indiegogo and kickstarter based out of the us um and they tend to do more project or social based um, projects um and so and it might be might be product based too so it might be that somebody's got a great new idea for a product they need to 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 raise some capital to develop that product and they kind of pre-sell it to people who 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 get behind it Um, ours is very very different to that ours is about raising much larger amounts of money Um, And instead of getting a product or a T-shirt or, you know, feeling like you're part of the project, you actually get shares in the company that you invest in. Um, So this is a a way of taking equity investment, but really democratizing it and allow ordinary people to take part in it.
0: Really interesting. And Tom... Uh, when we think about Monzo and from what you've uh, helped me understand you've raised four rounds of funding I believe at this point That's right two of which um, had some sort of crowdfunding engagement so can you give us some insight into what specifically made those two rounds where you engaged where you engaged crowdfunding Why was that why was crowdfunding needed in those two specific points and perhaps not in the other two so I think it for us, it depended on how
1: where we were with our product and company development, and how much time went into the round. So, the sort of quick history of fundraising at Monzo: we raised a couple of million pounds at the start from Passion Capital, who were investors who'd supported me previously at um, at GoCardless. And at that point, crowdfunding wasn't an option. We had no product. We were called something. To, I think we were called Focus FS Limited or something. We had no customers, no waiting list. We had like an idea and a sort of like a plan um, and a vision really that pa- Passion Capital sort of believed in and got behind, that would not have been a like, an appropriate time to en- engage crowdfunding, or I don't think, because we didn't have fleshed out plans, we didn't have financial models really, um, we didn't have an existing user base. Um, so sort of fast forward, I guess, about nine months or 10 months from then, uh, we raised £5 million again from Passion, and added a um, million pounds of crowdfunding. We actually had a lot more in place, and that's probably a year and a little bit after that, actually. That was probably uh, February or March 2016, so a year after we started. And by that point, actually, we had a lot more. We had this uh, prepaid card. We had an app. We had uh, a waiting list of users who wanted to get on board, uh, something like thirty or 40,000 people on our waiting list, I believe, at that stage, and six or 7,000 people who, who using the product and were like avid, avid fans. They had to come to our office to get the the first initial prepaid card. You had to take time off work to turn up at our office and give us a hundred pounds of your own money to trial the product. I mean, of course, it was available straight on this on this prepaid card. You could go and spend it. But still, you were in some sense putting this money at, at risk. So that for us felt like a really good time to start crowdfunding because we had the kind of grassroots of a user base there. We had this product we could show. We could sort of talk more um, in more depth about our plans going forwards mm-hmm. and we we planned that round for several months I think we got the term sheet from Passion in December 2015 if I recall um, and then we we kind of were able to spend two or three months planning this crowdfunding, and it sort of came together in a record-breaking 96-second uh, raise, which was, you know, it's a lot of fun. It's incredible. Had yeah. its sort of ups and downs, of course. Um, but ultimately broke Ups as well. and downs
0: during the 96 seconds? Uh, <laughs> a couple of days prior to <laughs> Okay, actually, all right, okay.
1: <laughs> Which we'll talk about in a second, perhaps. But, um, you know, there was enough planning, there's enough momentum, there's enough of user base there to really make it sort of a success. Contrast that to sort of six months later, we'd really seen our... Uh, uh, uptake, our press interest really accelerate. And we we just needed operating capital to keep the business growing. And we were almost a victims of growing too fast. And so we wanted a really quick £5 billion injection. And Passion again stumped up. We decided not to do crowdfunding then. We actually uh, disapplied the crowd's preemption rights. So they, the people who had invested could not invest in that round, which some people sort of questioned. And our rationale was, look, we want to get this done really, really quickly. The valuation is like literally double to what it was four or five months ago so you guys your equity is now worth double what it was that's wrong. Right, it was about 80 percent more i think um, and so it's good for the business that we, we take this investment really quickly and move on we didn't have the kind of two three months it needs to plan again contrast that to the fourth round where we raised uh, um, 22 million pounds uh, so a significantly larger amount is the amount we needed to capitalize the bank for our launch Again, that was like planned more in advance. We had more breathing room. We took 19 and a half from VCs and two and a half from the crowd.
0: And from what I understand, when you go down the path of leveraging Crowdcube and crowdfunding, there's the concept of your campaign, right, that you need to prepare in order to, to yeah. put forward. And so I'm curious, do you have any considerations or best practices for those people who are at a stage of thinking about their first campaign from a crowdfunding perspective? And what did you learn and what guidance could you provide those startup founders I think for us,
1: having an engaged user base was vital. Crowdfunding for for us was a way to deepen the engagement with our existing user base, mostly. We had a few extra people come in who were not existing users already, but the vast, vast majority of people who invested were already Monzo users. Um, And it helped us uh, deepen our relationship with those people and really further our brand. We really... Values like transparency and customer centricity are just absolutely central to what we're trying to do and crowdfunding just play just reinforce that in such a an amazing way Mm -hmm. so really i think crowdfunding is a lot easier if you have an existing user base or mailing list or sort of set of supporters you've engaged already Mm -hmm. i think if you come to crowdfunding and expect it to generate a user base out of nowhere you you know you might be in for a, a bit of a shock but it's a certainly a way to amplify that or deepen the engagement
0: okay great and and darren kind of um capitalizing on that you've obviously seen Many companies leverage your platform in order to raise funds, some successfully, some maybe not. So I'm yeah. curious, can you give our listeners some top tips in terms of being successful on Crowdcube? What should they think about in order to get the best possible chances of being successful?
2: Yeah, so first of all, I would kind of echo what Tom says about preparation. Um, preparation is everything to a successful campaign. Um, you can't come along, you know, create create a pitch, put it live, sit back and just wait and expect people to invest. Um, that just doesn't happen. So... We always work quite closely with the companies that are raising money on Crowdcube to help them prepare a plan, uh, a proper project plan as to how they're going to market their pitch, where they expect to get exposure, where they expect to acquire new investors from, um, how they can work the network they have uh, in place already. Um, And the more preparation you can do, the the higher the chances of success you you would have. Um, Other tips I would have is to create a fantastic video because this is clearly an online way of raising money. And nobody has a chance to sit up opposite you on the table and you know see the whites of your eyes and and you know hear you talk passionately about your business and your plans for it. So the video is the way for you to do that. You know people do invest in people. People talk about that all the time, and it it really is true. Um, and having a great video and it giving you the chance to really talk about how you feel about the business and and, and see who you are and get and get bit beneath the skin a little bit is really really important. Um, and the third thing is kind of the advice to the entrepreneur is just commitment um you know the more that you put into this the more you'll get out of it and you can't afford to be lazy you know in any term in, in any ways that you would raise money um it's not an easy process and crowdfunding is no different it's it's uh, something that you need to put a lot of effort into and you'll get the rewards if you do that
1: yeah i Next. love the uh the suguru video jane <laughs> just comes across as this like such an amazing person so yeah. like, bubbly and vibrant we yeah. we watched that so many times preparing for our round which just so inspiring
0: that's really good advice and uh tom i would say from your perspective is there anything that you would have done differently reflecting on the campaign that you put forward specifically with crowdcube so i mean
1: maybe time to talk about the, the server crash we went to crowdcube with our first fundraiser we sort of explained what we're going to do and um we had a pretty high aspirations, pretty high hopes. And we came to Crowdcube and we were like, guys, we we'll run this campaign and we think it's going to be massively oversubscribed and it's going to get covered in all the newspapers and it's going to sell out really fast. And clearly, like, everyone who comes to Crowdcube says That's that. Thing. They were, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You've heard that. Here we Keep go again. <laughs> <laughs> and they were like, sure, Tom, sure. It'll be fine. Um, and so when we, we had, a, you know, we, we did a pre-application um, period. So before it went live, we said, look, there's going to be tons of demand. So we, if you're really, really interested pre-register and you'll get early access before before the main sort of um the, before the public mm-hmm. and i can't remember exactly how many people are on that list like 16 or twenty thousand or something like s- some tens of thousands and we went live and and the crowd cube i actually managed to make my investment because i knew exactly <laughs> when it was going live and i got on there and about 50 other people managed to get their investments in before their servers melted basically and we took the Sort of exceeded the number of connections to their database, or something. Something happened that sort of took the servers off for about two or three hours. Which, and we were kind of the CrowdCube guys were working super, super hard to to kind of increase capacity, and we were trying to keep our user base from not, not lynching us. Basically, right. um, two or three hours pretty frustrating time, and we sort of decided to take the round offline to pause it at that point, so that we could go away and kind of. Um, come up with a new plan. Mm -hmm. So two or three days later, I think it was on, it went live on a Monday and on Thursday we relaunched it using a sort of different server setup basically. And that was the 96 seconds when it sold out really, really fast. So in a way that we have this sort of bizarre habit at Monzo of taking these kind of screw ups, frankly, but by being transparent communicating about them in a kind of custom centric way, actually we get more positive press and, and, Sort of results out of it, bizarrely, mm-hmm. and that this sort of server meltdown was was no different.
0: We obviously hate to hear of that pain that you felt, but it did create an opportunity, Darren, for for us to work with you and reach out indeed, and, yes. and move yeah. you to the cloud. So <laughs> that's, that's the other part of the silver lining as well. So, um, Darren, you know, you have shared some really great insights into the success stories and the commonalities and the recommendations of what should happen to make uh, you know make a campaign successful. Yeah. As you reflect on your experience seeing many different startups perhaps not be successful, mm-hmm. can you share? The unfortunate side, meaning, what are some of the observations that you've made of the campaigns that weren't quite as successful, perhaps even failed?
2: Yeah, there's, there's one, one or two that stick stick in my mind. I mean, one is going back to what I said before about um, taking the campaign seriously and committing to it. Um, some people don't don't heed that advice that we give them, and we do have discussion forums on uh, on each of our pitches. So uh, again, because it's an online platform, uh, it's a way for investors to be able to interact with the entrepreneurs and ask questions. And, you know, they expect people to, to respond to those questions, you know, thoroughly and, and, and in good time. And quite often, uh, well, I wouldn't say quite often, but the the, the the campaigns that tend to fail often don't engage with the investors through those forums. They don't take the time to treat these, these people seriously, because some of them are investing tens of thousands of pounds. And if they want to ask questions about the business, then they have a right to do that and they have a right to good answers. And they're not going to invest if they don't get those good answers. So... Um people who don't uh, understand that level of engagement uh don't don't uh, aren't successful mm-hmm. um, The other thing that that does happen is we we can get valuations wrong. so you know the valuation of a company when it raises money is obviously important um and investors will look at that and they'll tr- they'll obviously gauge in their own and their own minds whether they think that it's a, an investable opportunity or not and there's been a number of occasions where the entrepreneurs come to us very strongly uh, with very strong views about what their valuation should be. And as much as we've argued with them about what that valuation should be, they've um, they they didn't relent, and we've had to go live with it uh, at what they've said. And having not heeded their our advice, they were unsuccessful in raising money because people didn't agree to that valuation. So hmm. it is important that you get the valuation right before you go live on on CrowdCube.
0: Okay, and that's an interesting segue, Tom, <clears throat> over to uh, you know the fact that there's a lot of interesting public information available for startups and startup founders who have raised venture capital funding on how should you treat that relationship how do you keep that investor happy and yet i haven't seen as much insight into how do you keep investors from a crowdfunding perspective happy mm. right because it's a very different kind of relationship so can you reflect on at monso what are the sorts of things that that you're doing to keep that connection with the with the investors that have actually used crowdcube to you know to help you grow
1: yeah so i think Brewdog do an amazing job of this. I think we do a pretty mediocre job at, at this. Actually, and I think we've planned a bunch of stuff to hopefully try and improve that. So one thing we did early um, on was just simply um, use the status of investor as a sort of uh, a badge of honor. So when you invested, you get your your hot car Monzo card says investor on it, and you know there's little economic value to that. But you can show your friends that you are sort of there, and that kind of makes people feel. A deep connection on the uh, community forums again it badges you investor and we're looking at bringing that over into the app itself so that you sort of have this status forever I think um, investor communications are really really important that's somewhere that we've not something we've not done as well so we're looking to send more frequent um, investor specific communications it's hard because we are so public about everything and so um, I think what we would look to do is every quarter About every quarter to send an investor update.
0: Tom had given us some great insight into what he and Manzo's doing to keep their investors happy. And as you look across your entire platform and all of the campaigns that are run, I'm sure you've also seen companies do this well or perhaps not so well. Yeah. So any insights or recommendations on how a company that may list and raise funds on CrowdCube, what should they be doing to keep their investors happy?
2: Yeah, it's 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 pretty straightforward, really. It's about proactivity, really, for me. I mean, we we're in the same position as Tom. We've got uh, we crowdfunded ourselves four times i think now as part of our our fundraising process um and we've got over two thousand investors in crowdcube and the way that you keep your investors happy is by feeding them information on a regular basis so the easiest way of doing that is just having an uh, an email list that you send out you know monthly ideally with an update what's going on in the business keep them informed and if you do that they're very much likely to be contacting you asking for information from you so that really keeps down the, the level of inbound interest from, from your, your investors.
1: What proportion, Darren, of your rounds have, a, have VC involvement? Where are they pure crowd versus kind of hybrid?
2: Um, I mean, that's, that's a growing statistic. So probably before 2015, I think 2015 was the year we did our first VC co-round. Since then, we've done 50. Mm. Um, so we've done 500 raises. So about 10% have been with VCs uh, as part of the round.
0: So, Tom, what's next for Monzo? Can you give us any insight into what you're planning, or are you going to keep us on the edge of our seat?
1: No, no. As always, happy to happy to chat openly about our plans. So, our growth has been phenomenal for the last uh, six months or so. We're now at uh, about 175,000 cards and about 100, 110,000 active users. People using this card every single uh, every single week, and and on average, much more frequently. So, that growth is has been very very strong and is continuing and is basically all organic so we we're growing at this crazy rate week on week and it's the first priority for us is just to keep the kind of wheels on the on the car um the second as a result of getting our full unrestricted banking license a month ago which is a huge huge milestone for us we'll be looking to transition those uh users who are on the prepaid card over to a full current account over the next few months so we're trialing um full live current accounts and overdraft lending. Internally, I think I was our first overdraft user. I've, uh, I owe Monzo 20 pence of overdraft interest <laughs> now. Um, and we just, as with everything we do, we kind of roll out waves to make sure that you know, the systems and processes work as expected. But over the next coming months, um, that user base should be given the opportunity to use the current account, which we are really, really excited
0: about. And Darren, similarly on Crowdcube, I can imagine that you're continuing to innovate in the platform itself. So any glimpse mm-hmm. into what may be coming on your side?
2: Yeah, we've got a lot going on as usual. Um, The thing that we're really focused on at the moment is how we can provide returns to our investors. Uh, So we've now got nearly 400,000 registered investors on Crowdcube. We've funded about 500 companies. Obviously, when somebody invests in Monzo or one of the other companies we've, we've raised money for, they're hopefully expecting to be able to get some money back at some point in the future. Um so we've now had three exits the, the of the of the portfolio of companies that we've got we've had three that have made a full exit and investors have made returns on those so that's that's a great start and we're hoping to see more of those um we're also looking at how we can get secondary liquidity so how can people sell their shares to other people that want to buy their shares We're actually looking to build a proper secondary market um, and this isn't a, a short term play for us this is a longer term play. Um, And it probably won't be until next year sometime that we can actually launch this, but this will enable people to be able to get liquidity on their shares and, and, and sell them to other people. Fascinating.
0: That's great. So, Tom, as we wrap up, I want to turn to you and have you reflect back on your younger or less experienced self and not even specific to crowdfunding, but more of looking back to your early days. Think back when you were just beginning to launch some of those initial endeavors. Any recommendations or best practices or things that you would tell our listeners, specifically those listeners who may not yet have had the experience of launching a company on their own?
1: Yeah, so I think there's a huge amount of, of writing on this on the Internet and basically anything that comes out of, of Paul Graham or, or Y Combinator is kind of gospel to us. I think in particular, um, launch early, talk to your users and really focus on making something people want and you can only really tell if you're doing that by kind of launching it and asking them I think something I've learned over the last two or three years is the power of brand I didn't really believe in brand when I was starting out I, was, I took a very mechanical approach to to sort of growth and marketing um, and really humans are very emotional beings and brand is about emotion and a promise and a sort of a set of values a, sh- a set of shared values I guess, and that for me differentiates the the best companies whether they're huge huge companies like Apple or Google or Facebook or small startups the difference between kind of just very mechanical kind of robotic approach to sort of to product and growth versus an emotional brand driven one mm-hmm. i think it can be very very powerful
0: that's excellent insight And Darren, I think one of the really interesting things in my perspective is not only are you helping give birth to entirely new concepts and new businesses, you yourself are also a hyper growth startup company with your experience. So I'd ask you the same question. If you could look back and find yourself in previous years, what would you tell yourself? What advice would you give yourself now?
2: So one of the um, kind of values that we have within Crowdcube is uh, we call it be brave and tenacious. And one of the things that I think has helped us get to where we are now is is exactly that. It's about it's about tenacity, and I think that applies to all entrepreneurs. And over the seven years that we've been going now, we've hit some huge obstacles and challenges in our way, especially in in the early days. And at times you feel like, oh my god, I don't, I just don't think it's worth doing this. I just, I can't get through this. It's just too hard. Um, so I would just really looking at my previous self, just give myself some words of encouragement and say, keep going, be tenacious, you'll get through it. And you'll make it in the end. And if you believe in something, you just got to keep going.
0: Excellent, Aaron. Well, thank you so much, gentlemen, for the time that you've taken with us today. Great insights and recommendations. And thanks, everyone, for listening. In our next AWS Startup Stories episode, we'll hear from Hal Watts, CEO of Unmade, and Robin Klein, general partner of Local Globe, about securing VC funding and building long lasting investor relationships. I hope you'll join us then. If you enjoyed this episode, check out the AWS Startup Stories webpage in the show notes for the podcast, along with a useful cheat sheet, and look out for other Startup Story podcasts coming your way soon. To find out about AWS and how we can help you grow, build, and transform your business, join thousands of innovative leaders at the AWS Summit on June 28th.